Hey, this is Pastor Jay Lee, and you're listening to the Daily Sabbath Podcast. Today, we have a little bit of a different topic here on the Daily Sabbath Podcast. Uh, For those of you guys who have been following along, uh, several months ago, as my Instagram blog and the podcast were starting to get going, uh, one of my friends encouraged me, hey, you know, you should really introduce yourself to your followers. And at first, I was kind of resistant to it. I was like, well, you know, this this blog is really just about, you know, sharing God's word. Uh, it doesn't really matter who I am. And, and so I kind of pushed back. But as I sat with it and thought about it a little bit more, I realized that maybe I was kind of hiding behind the anonymity a little bit. And as I searched my heart a little bit, I, I kind of realized that maybe one of the reasons why I was hesitating to fully introduce myself to the public was because, you know, when I looked around Instagram and just the different people that I follow or the different followers that I have, um, I didn't really see any faces that look like mine. And even as a child, I kind of had like a small dream of one day being a writer. And even back then, the thought occurred to me like, you know, I should probably use a pen name, right? Because I I had never seen any books with somebody with the last name Lee (laughs) or a face like myself, uh, Asian American. And even in seminary, none of my professors look like me. And so I think that was the first time that I really became aware just how important the issue of representation is. You know, anybody who knows me knows that this is not something that I normally talk about or have ever talked about. But, you know, just that feeling that I had of not feeling confident enough to really pursue my dreams because I was Asian American and I didn't know if I fit into that space really got me thinking, hey, I want to have some conversations about this on the podcast. And so, you know, today is the first in what I hope will be a series of conversations about representation. And today in particular, we're talking about uh, representation in the entertainment industry. And so today I have a special guest. I actually can't think of anybody who is more qualified to speak on this issue of representation in the entertainment industry. Uh, Her name is Larissa Lam, and she is a recording artist and songwriter. Her song, I Feel Alive, won the Hollywood Music and Media and Academia Music Award for Best Dance Song. Uh, And her song, Breathing More, was a top 10 CCM rhythmic chart hit. And people from my era will get excited about this. Uh, Her song was actually featured in the video game Dance Dance Revolution Universe 2. Uh, She is also an on-air TV personality and host. Uh, Her and her husband, Baldwin Chu, they host a podcast called Love, Discovery, and Dim Sum. And most recently, uh, she is an award-winning filmmaker and producer uh, with her documentary Far East, Deep South. And not only that, she is a proud Chinese-American woman who has really been using her voice and her platform to advocate on issues impacting Asian-Americans. And so... Larissa, thank you so much for taking time to be here on the Daily Sabbath podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting to be here. And, you know, so my first question to you is, do you sleep? Like, are you are you a vampire? Like, how are you doing all of this? You know, honestly, I actually really enjoy my sleep. And so what the hardest part is for parents out there, and and Jay, I know you're a parent. I I have an eight-year-old daughter, so it's a little bit better now. But that's actually probably the most challenging thing is trying to work when you're not being a parent. Um, And so, Mm -hmm. yes, uh, I do squeeze in some sleep. It's (laughs) not always very often. (laughs) Yeah. Now, uh, here's sort of a fun fact. The first time I ever ran into Larissa was actually at an old church camp when I was, uh, I believe I was a freshman or a sophomore in college. Shout out First Chinese Baptist Church, Fountain Valley. But uh, Larissa was actually (laughs) a guest, (laughs) a guest performer at that camp. And she put on a little mini concert for us. And I just remember thinking, I, I feel like you might have been the first cool Christian that I had ever run into Aww. as a Christian. <laughs> you know, I became a Christian as a senior in high school. And so, you know, I just remember sitting there, you know, watching your concert thinking, hey, this is this is like real music. <laughs> this is a real performance. And and just I don't know, just opened something in my mind like, oh, wow, this this is like legit music here. 
I don't know if you remember Aww, uh, going uh, to that camp. I do. I very, I very much remember that. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> it's interesting because that was very early on in my music ministry and my music career. And so I, uh, you know, I've done, I've probably performed at over like 500 churches in my career. And oh, and wow. it's the early like first few years of my you know ministry in my career. Those are the ones I remember the most. Where sometimes the ones in the middle, like I kind of, they all kind of blend together. So I, you know, the ones, the early ones are everyone was memorable. Right. So I mm. absolutely remember doing that, doing that camp and retreat. <laughs> nice. And and so, you know, and, and also I, I, I just wanted to mention that. So, you know, in preparation for the interview, I, I had a, a chance to watch your documentary, Far East, Deep South. And man, it, I have to say it was just so, so good. Uh, it's just really beautiful storytelling and filmmaking. And I was crying in the first 10 minutes of this documentary, which is kind of unusual for me, honestly, but it's just so, so good. I, I can't recommend enough for those guys. I'm going to provide a link uh, to the documentary, but man, it was just really beautiful film. Oh, well, thank you. And we should always like put that like joking tag next to our film. It's like, we make grown men cried. It's not just a film about <laughs> the early Chinese in Mississippi during segregation, but it's a movie that will make grown men cry. <laughs> yes, yes. Stone, stone-hearted men like myself cry. Actually, could you tell us a little bit more about um, just that film and, and just kind of, I, I know you don't want to give away too much of the, the storyline, but if you could just give us sort of a, a brief synopsis of the documentary. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think the main reason we made the film was because about six years ago, my husband and I went to Mississippi to go see my husband's grandfather and great-grandfather's grave. And we really didn't actually know where the grave site was. We just had a photo and we just had heard that um, his grandfather and great-grandfather had been buried there. Now, my father-in-law, Charles, uh, actually grew up not knowing his family, his, his sorry, didn't grow up knowing his father. And so the, the whole, my husband's father's side of the family was a complete mystery. So we thought literally we get on a plane from California, go out to Mississippi, try to find this grave site, pay our respects, put some flowers on the grave and then go home. And instead, we ended up going on this amazing adventure that God, I think, ordained, where we mm. encountered people who knew the family. We found some very important, you know, artifacts. Those who have seen the movie um, will know there's like, a, you know, I don't want to spoil it, as you mentioned, Jay, <laughs> but there's a very important book, hint, hint, mm -hmm. um, that's in our film that we discover. <laughs> Um, and there is this whole history of the Chinese in the South um, that was impacted by segregation that most of us never grew up learning about in our history books. And more importantly, even the role of the church in those times where the church was actually instrumental in helping establish mission schools for the Chinese children that were not allowed to go to white schools because of segregation. Mm. And so all of a sudden, um, I'm, you know, you mentioned my music background. I was doing churches at, you know, at, at churches and Christian camps and, and, you know, clubs. Oh no, that's a scary word. No, I did. <laughs> I was shining a light <laughs> into the darkness. And so I was also performing in the mainstream. And then, you know, fast forward several years, I find myself becoming a filmmaker, um, really because I felt like God gave us a story that needed to be told um, on so many levels to the world. It was just an amazing testimony. Yeah. I mean, again, I can't highly recommend enough that you guys go ahead and watch this film. Uh, it's so just one, it's just a beautiful story, but it's also so timely right now with just all the conversations that we're having uh, in society and in the church. And so, um, yeah, so actually, Larissa, where can they watch? Well, people can find out where they can watch our film um, on our website, fareastdeepsouth.com. Um, we have a screenings page. We are doing some live screenings, some virtual screenings. Um, if you have PBS Passport, um, you can actually watch it if you're a member of PBS. Um, we were broadcast on PBS last year, um, and so members of PBS can screen our film. Um, if you have access to Canopy, Canopy with a K, uh, through the universities or even public libraries, you can actually watch our film. And if you have public library access, you can actually watch our film for free. Um, and of course, you know, stay tuned because we are working on some other um, exciting distribution channels for our film to be seen by many more people. Um, but of course, you know, if you want to request our film to come to, to your church or to your organization, um, feel free to contact us through our website. All right. Yeah. So definitely uh, encourage you guys to check that out. Uh, reach out to Larissa if you want more information. So let's let's jump into this interview. So, you know, first of all, 
I'm just kind of curious. I'd like to hear more about just sort of the journey of your career. Uh, I feel like I've never really had a chance to ask somebody who has been in the entertainment industry, and you've been in the industry for a long time, like over 20 years. And so I'm just kind of curious, like, how did you get your start? And can you just kind of share sort of some of the uh, the highlights over the years in, of your journey in the entertainment industry? I was born on a farm. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I was not born on a farm. Okay. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting that you say 20 years because uh, I'll, I'll joke. It's like, yes, I started when I was two. Um, and that's totally not the case because I, I always think like if I had known I was going to be in the entertainment industry, I probably would have started earlier. Mm. Um, and, you know, part of it is because of representation, this this very topic that we're talking about, because as an Asian American girl growing up, I didn't see somebody that looked like me that was doing music. I didn't mm. see somebody like that looked like me that was you know, doing a whole lot of acting. There were very few examples, maybe on on screen portrayals, but like, you know, it wasn't enough to make me think like, oh, I could be in entertainment, you know, even as a filmmaker. I mean, last year was Watershed because Chloe Zhao, who made Nomadland and then also recently directed the Eternals film, you know, she's of Chinese descent and she won the Oscar, but I didn't have a Chloe Zhao growing up, you know? And, And so the fact that we've come a long way, but yet representation is so important because the next generation hopefully gets spurred to, to be inspired to some of these careers. So I was a good Asian girl, um, and I thought I was going to become a doctor when I grew up. Okay, so there's <laughs> some stereotypes are a little true. You do have a lot of parents that do, like, you know, not all, but there are many parents that do steer their Asian children <laughs> into professions like <laughs> being a doctor. My dad was a doctor, and so I thought I was going to be a doctor growing up um, until I realized I couldn't handle the sight of blood. Uh, or any <laughs> surgery scenes in any type of TV show or movie. Yeah. Uh, and I was 16 at that time when I realized that because all my life I had been brainwashed into thinking, if you get good grades, you should be a doctor. And, you know, why would I even think a little Asian girl from Diamond Bar, California could become somebody in the entertainment industry? Um, but by the time I was 16, I had this crazy idea. You know, I can't be a doctor anymore. So what's the most logical thing as the next step? It's like, well, I kind of love music. I've written music from a young age. I'm going to be a music producer because I, I admired people like Quincy Jones and Babyface and, you know, uh, Phil Ramone and all these other, like, producers. And people are like, like, why? Why would an Asian girl <laughs> think they could be a producer yeah. in the entertainment industry? Um, and honestly, one of one of the reasons why I went into entertainment is because of the challenge that nobody did it before me. Um, I mm. joke if I had been born white and male, I probably wouldn't be in entertainment because I would have nothing to prove. So I was that person that decided to be swimming upstream when everyone else was going the other way and do something that had never been done before, even though the odds were in some sense against me. Um, And I always kind of say this. It's like, well, if it's never been done before, how can there be odds? Right. So (laughs) you kind of end up making your own odds if it's never been done before. That's that's a good way to that's a good way to look at it. And part of it is being young and naive, (laughs) not (laughs) being bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. It was also, I think, having a very strong faith in God. Um, It it honestly felt like God was calling me to this because, again, why would I get that crazy idea in my head if it wasn't from God? And, you know, with anything, and I think with, you know, people that are listening out there, too, it's like you you kind of put it to the test a little bit, right? Like, okay, God, if this is the right direction that that I should be going in, give me some some affirmation along the way. Um, Because, you know, if I had a whole bunch of doors slam on me, then I would be like, okay, God's God doesn't want me here, so maybe I'm, I'm, I'm knocking on the wrong doors. Um, I go to college. I went to UCLA, and um, I graduated with my business economics degree um, because it was kind of my, my uh, practical degree my parents would approve of. Um, and ultimately, I, I was thinking, you know, it's a business. The entertainment industry is a business. So my first job out of college was um, offered to me because I went to church with a friend and his brother-in-law happened to be the president of this Christian record label called Ensoul Records. And so um, I ended up having taking this meeting and getting offered, long story short, this job to become initially the financial controller. See, that business economics degree did come in handy, mom and dad. Um, and eventually uh, becoming the CFO of the record label. And, um, and this record label was a Christian record label that did, at the time, 
um, EDM music, uh, which was called Dance Electronica back then. And I sang with a group called Nitro Praise while I was at the label because that also makes sense is that your CFO of a record label goes out and sings with your, you know, praise and worship group. <laughs> so when I was at this record label, I ended up singing with Nitro Praise and we did praise and worship music done with like a dance beat, which at that time, 20 years ago, was super progressive. You know, we <laughs> had church ladies going, oh, my gosh, what's all this music? You know, whereas now it's really commonplace. And, you know, artists like Toby Mac are using dance elements and, and a lot of artists, mainstream, you know, Christian artists are are using dance elements. But back then that was like huge. And so um, that's kind of how I got my start in terms of being an artist was I happened to be the CFO of a record label. They needed a singer to go um, replace their lead singer that was originally part of this group, Nitro Praise. And all of a sudden I ended up singing with the group for two years. And that's how I started my music ministry. <laughs> and so you never know where God is, is going to place you. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. So I actually had no idea. I, I just assumed that you sort of came into it from the get-go wanting to be a recording artist, but it seems like you sort of backed into the recording artist aspect of it. Now, I have a question for you because, you know, I know, I mean, I am an Asian American myself. I'm just really curious, like, how did, how did it go over with your family? Like, when you told them that you wanted to be in entertainment and in show business, like, how did they take it? Well, my parents thought I was going to starve. They said it in Chinese, of course, but they, they thought I was going to starve. Um, but, you know, here's here's how I won kind of my argument to pursue it. My dad was actually an, an actor in Hong Kong before he came to the United States. Oh, wow. So the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And so my dad's argument was like, oh, I know how tough of a life that could possibly be. But see, my dad left the acting business in Hong Kong. Um, he was actually signed on a contract with the Shaw Brothers Studio, which is which is like the Warner Brothers of, of you know, Hong Kong. And, you know, he chose to leave because a director was saying, if you want a better life, go to America. You have a shot to go to America, go there. Uh, and he voluntarily left the industry. And so my argument to him was like, look, you tried and you you decided to leave on your own. At least let me try. If I try and fail, mm -hmm. I try and fail, but at least I tried. And I told him I would get my business economics degree, as I mentioned, you know, that was kind of the compromise, right? I wasn't going to like throw my life away. Because I think this is the, the misperception people have about the entertainment industry. Like you're either a starving artist, you know, or you're like ultra successful and a movie star, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of in between, you know, as we kind of share throughout this conversation. I mean, I've sustained a career in the entertainment industry for 20 years, which is not an easy task. At the same time, I'm not like wealthy. You know, I'm I'm not living in a mansion. I, you know, I, I live a modest life, but I have sustained a career. And so, you know, that's the one thing I think when parents are set, think not encouraging their kids to go into entertainment. And that's part of the issue with representation is, especially with the Asian community, it's it's a little bit of a numbers game, right? If we don't encourage and equip people to go into this industry, how are they going to succeed and how are they going to be there to, to represent us if we're not encouraging people to go into these into these areas, right? Mm. Yeah, that's. Oh, I my mean... parents are okay with it now, by the way. They're supportive. Well, I will say, my mom probably for like the first five years after college, when I was, you know, doing ministry full time, um, she was still kind of asking me, like, "Oh, you going to go back to law school, or are you going to go back and get your <laughs> MBA?" Um, but you know, that ship has sailed, and and I think now, especially with the film doing with Far East Deep South doing so well, I think they're, you know, they're quite proud, and you know, I think when you show your parents like the value of what you're doing because i think that's the other thing that made a difference is i wasn't just singing to be famous right i was singing mm -hmm. to make a difference in the world i was singing to to really impact and be a blessing into the world and to and to mobilize others to to be a blessing to others and so i think when you see the mission um that kind of trumps the monetary at least you know, ideally, you hope your parents see that value. <laughs> Not all parents see that, but like you, you, you know, they, they, I think they understood. I had a, I had a greater calling and a mission. Those of you mm -hmm. who are all in ministry, you, you, you feel me, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's funny just hearing what your parents said to you when you kind of 
brought it up. It, it kind of reminded me when I was younger, I think even in elementary school, my parents asked me, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said writer, which I have no idea why I even said that. Like, what did I what had I written at that point in my, you know, elementary school life? But uh, when when I said writer, my mom's response was, uh, do you want to be homeless? So it's very similar, I feel like, <laughs> to the response similar, that you got. Absolutely. Yeah, very similar. So, but yeah, so, okay, so you got, you well, moved in. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, you know, there's really like two types of artists in the world. You know, there's the type of artist that wants to become famous. And then there's the artist that wants to be the one that changes the world. So mm. I think for me, I wanted to change the world. And in my opinion, I, I truly believe that most artists, like if if you're in it for the money and the fame, you're going to be sorely disappointed. And of course, you're going to find all the other aspects, you know, the emptiness and the that it's not going to fulfill you. But I think if you're out there for a greater purpose than yourself, then it becomes an industry that one, you're going to be invested in for a long time. But you know, two, um, you are going to make a much greater impact on the world. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so kind of getting back to your journey. So, you know, you sort of backed up into uh, being a recording artist with Nitro Praise. Uh, so where did you kind of go from there? Yeah, well, after Nitro Praise, um, I left the label and decided to go solo because, you know, I think I had never thought it was possible for me to be an artist. I, I, I think, Earl, you know, in the beginning of our conversation, I thought, I'm going to be a music producer. And, and logically, I just thought, I'm going to be a music producer. I'm going to be a songwriter because nobody can see my face. In the same way, you know, you were talking about the, the podcast early on. And, you know, we kind of have this self-defeatist attitude, you know, unfortunately, and this in this like inferiority complex because we see the lack of representation. So, you know, no one in the right mind that looked like me and that's not even covering the female aspect because there's very few female producers music producers you know as it is so i decided i was going to jump in and you know go be in a boys club of of an industry where there's very few women and, and let alone asians right um and so i ended up singing and that gave me the confidence even though i was the only asian member of this group i ended up getting the confidence that, you know what, people want to hear me sing. People validated that I was good enough to compete with, you know, others that were non-Asian, so to speak. Mm. Um, and so um, I ended up working um, with uh, my first producer that I worked with, actually worked with, uh, previously worked with Brandy, you know, the music artist. Oh, wow. And, and so uh, from very early on, I worked with, you know, producers, um, that worked with other major artists in the past and that, you know, that validates you in some sense. And then I started touring um, and I started performing, um, you know, not just at churches, but I started performing at secular venues. And a lot of times that, that's in a sense that that really, you know, gives you a sense of like how you measure up. You know, I think I, I jokingly mentioned I played clubs and I really did play clubs. Um, I played a lot of clubs with my band and um, you can kind of tell, um, you know, where you stack up quality wise with a lot of these other bands. Um, that were mm -hmm. on kind of the circuit. And for me, my purpose was always to, to shine a light, you know, in that darkness, um, you know, why I did a lot of the clubs. Um, and so I ended up touring the country in, and having a viable music career for, you know, I mean, even up until the pandemic, honestly, <laughs> um, even while I became a filmmaker, I mean, my career has kind of continued on. And, you know, four or five albums later, I, I've gotten an opportunity to write music for film and TV as well. I, I wrote music for the Oprah Winfrey show, among other, you know, TV projects um, and video games. You mentioned um, Dance Dance Revolution. Um, I also produced a song um, that my husband raps in Cantonese on um, for a video game called Sleeping Dogs put out by Square Enix. It's it's for mature audiences. I don't recommend it for kids <laughs> <laughs> okay. at all. I actually hadn't I had no idea how like violent it was <laughs> um, until we got the tester of it. We're like, oh, cool. We have a song in a video game. We're like, oh, I would not recommend this for <laughs> most audiences. <laughs> That's funny. It's not family friendly. But, you know, there were been a lot of opportunities for me to work in, in different capacities, I think, in the industry that I could never have imagined. Mm. And so so now it sounds like you've really kind of started to zero in on the filmmaking and producing. Is that right? Well, I haven't given up music per se. Um, I certainly am doing more filmmaking and producing at this at this time in my life, um, just because I think after going to Mississippi and working on Far East Deep South, I realized there were so many 
other stories that have yet to be told that reflect, I think, the Asian experience. Um, and certainly, you know, one of my motivations for also doing Far East Deep South is to show that Asian Christians exist in the world, um, because even in that domain, we don't normally get to see um, a lot of portrayals of Christians who are of Asian descent. and. Um, Jay, you and I both know there are a lot of us out there. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so that, that was important to tell that point of view. You know, something that I mentioned to you before recording this interview is I feel like you're sort of this triple whammy of underrepresented peoples in the entertainment industry. I mean, you uh, not only are you Asian American, but you're also a um, you know devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And now you are a filmmaker and producer who is a woman. And so I feel like you're just running up against glass ceilings probably everywhere you go and so i'm just kind of curious um <laughs> i'm just kind of curious like if you could share uh just any experiences that you've had you know just in your career and any any of these spaces that you've walked um just kind of around representation in ways that maybe you've felt limited or you've felt uh overlooked or even discriminated against just yeah, anything that you can share with us yeah see how much time do we have jay <laughs> no. yeah. um i I will say, you know, it's been an interesting journey because I think I used to say I felt more sexism towards me in the entertainment industry than I did, say, blatant racism. Um, because I think the sexism was very obvious. The, the sweeties, the honeys, and you don't know how many times I was in a room, um, especially when I was the CFO of a record label, and clearly I was one of the executives, and I'd go into the room and people would pretty much like ignore me until they realized I was the one that signed the checks. Um, <laughs> you know, they didn't think I was anybody important because I was an Asian female, you know, um, or there have been many times even recently as a female director i've been on red carpets with my husband and i, I kid you not this happened when we did a world premiere of far east deep south it was actually in a south asian woman too who was asking this question went to my husband and said obviously you're the director of this film and <laughs> oh you know you should have seen my death stare <laughs> i was like oh obviously. girl i cannot believe you just did that yeah Obviously, oh my gosh, and it was a fellow woman um, that made that comment. And so there's certainly a lot of things to overcome. And then, you know, as far as being an Asian, um, I have this story where we went to a Grammy after party. I was a member of the Recording Academy, Academy um, for, you know, been over, over a decade, I've been a member. And we were at a Grammy after party. And I was talking to um, an African-American executive um, of a network who was doing a lot of music programming and his girlfriend happened to be Asian. And so I was like, oh, he's my people, right? <laughs> like, he's gonna get this. And so, you know, I opened up the conversation. It's like, hey, it's great to meet you. You know, he's a really nice guy. And I said like, hey, I'd love to talk to you more about, you know, including more Asian-American artists in your programming. And then he kind of said like, oh, we're playing a K-pop artist. <laughs> and as to kind of say like, oh, we got that covered. Because, yeah. you know, K-pop, that covers everybody, considering I'm <laughs> Chinese-American, right? And yeah. K-pop is in Korean, not in English. And there's Asian-American artists that do other genres, too, who are not of Korean descent. And and so these are kind of the, the obstacles and blind spots that I think the industry has had. I mean, he wasn't intentionally trying to be exclusionary, but, you know, I think there's that misperception, especially nowadays, that K-pop's gotten even more popular since that conversation that, like, oh, well, we're not racist and we're not exclusionary because we've got K-pop and K-pop's doing really well. And again, mm -hmm. no offense to anybody that's doing K-pop. My, my point is not to slam K-pop. I think it's great that they're doing well. But it's also to say, like, this is not the Asian experience in its entirety is K-pop. Just like you wouldn't say rap music would encompass, you know, everybody that is black. It would be silly to say, like, oh, 
everyone black listens to rap or like and, mm -hmm. and that's encompassing the black experience because i know a lot of people that do not listen to rap that happen to be black you know yeah. so i think there's a lot of ways that we have to go um in terms of a society but even in the christian music industry if you if you look at it in those you know it's it's gospel music is kind of in one category and you know you have praise and worship or country and like you know, Southern gospel. Um, and there's some very clear black and white lines. And then anyone else that doesn't fall into those categories is, I don't know, uh, just a little displaced or excluded. So um, I could go on, but those are some, a couple of very clear examples that I've experienced. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like then one of the things that you see happening is that, you know, especially when you're in a kind of an underrepresented group is that, yeah, maybe kind of getting pigeonholed where you, you kind of get pigeonholed into like a certain, well, okay, you know, yeah, like you said, Asian, so K-pop, right? And so if that that's kind of what they're looking for when they think of a, you know, we want to have an Asian artist in our, in our stable of artists and maybe not having a broader understanding of like, hey, there's, you know, just there's a lot of variety to, you know, the kind of the, the, the genres, like you said, and the, the kind of art that we bring, the, the, the kind of creativity that we're able to bring into the field. Yeah, and, and, and absolutely for the Christian side too, you know, one of the things I got talked to about a lot was when we were pushing a lot of my music to radio on the secular side. Um, you know, some people would say like, oh, she would be a lot more successful if she would just not sing about God. And if you actually listen to my music, I don't write praise and worship music. I have written some praise and worship songs in the past, but you know, my a lot of my solo material is it's from a Christian perspective. And so I will make reference maybe to God on not every single song on my album, but certainly that's my lived experience, so I think it's important to reflect that. Um but it's weird because you hear all these songs on the radio that question God, right? Or maybe condemn God and that's okay. But if you say something positive about God, sometimes people are like, oh, why are you doing that? You're automatically a Christian artist where I think it's absolutely valid for us to give credit to God in some ways. Again, not in an overly Christian way and a praise and worship, I mean, you know, way, but if it's just natural part of my songwriting and, you know, I credit if I have a great day in my life and I thank God for this day, I mean, I think that's perfectly natural to say that, right? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I think with the entertainment industry, they want you to go one way or the other. And that's why I'm also very surprised at the success we've had with Far East Deep South because there are some very clear Christian themes in our film and yet we've been embraced by the mainstream um, at PBS and every media outlet, USA Today, LA Times, you know, Boston Globe, some, some publications that you wouldn't necessarily think would be friendly to Christians, but the fact that our film is just, I think, maybe very universal and those themes, um, you know, very much resonate with people. I also think that there is something to be said about, uh, perhaps in, our, in the example of our film, an underrepresented story because I think that's that's kind of in vogue um, whether is that's a you know a positive or negative you decide it, you know in, in my viewpoint because our representation has been lacking the fact that you don't see a family that is of a Christian background on screen um, I think maybe that was part of the novelty of our film was the fact that we had a, a portrayal of, of not what your stereotype of a Christian was not a, a white you know evangelical Christian but a immigrant family um, that was being portrayed that happened to be of Asian descent that were Christians. Hmm. So kind of going back to uh, the music industry and sort of that, you know, kind of Christian, not Christian divide, because I've always been sort of curious about that because, you know, I've, I know I've seen it. I remember in college having conversations with people who, you know, they would say, oh, you know, this Christian artist, they sold out, you know, they're making secular music now. Right. And so it's 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 almost it goes both ways. Right. Like on on the one hand, it's like you can't be accepted by the sort of the the, the secular mainstream if you're too Christian. But then I almost feel like on the other end, if you're, you're not accepted by sort of the Christian recording industry if you're making songs that are too secular or you know not overtly about god or christian themes and things like that and so you know i, I like that you kind of were sharing some of your perspective there i don't i don't know if you can maybe share a little bit more on that like because like so for instance i've had people kind of you know bring up the question like is it okay 
for a Christian artist to to sing secular songs? I mean, of course, I was like, of course it is. But, you know, I don't know if you wanted to kind of share some more of your perspectives, because obviously you kind of walk the tightrope there between that. I mean, you are a Christian, but at the same time, not all of your songs are like praise and worship, like you said. So I would just like to hear more about your own kind of thought process on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the things that's very interesting is how much trolling hate comments I've received from the Christian side on some of my like, YouTube videos covering Christian songs. I've never had somebody, you know, non-Christian, so like, how dare you <laughs> sing a song that's not Christian? Um, you know, and, and even to that token with with our film Far East Deep South, like, I've never had anybody say that it was too Christian, but I've had Christians say it's not Christian enough. Um, and, mm. um, and, and that's something that we kind of as a, as a church need to kind of look at it is how we define what's Christian and enough, right? Or, and mm -hmm. I'll, I'll take this back historically when we talk about music. So if you go back to the good old days of Handel, um, nobody's going to question the Messiah as, you know, Handel's Messiah as being not Christian, right? Um, and <laughs> the early church is the one that commissioned quote unquote popular music because that was it wasn't there wasn't a christian music industry there wasn't a popular music industry it was all you know all in one the same and somehow even if you go up to like the early 1950s and you see artists like pat boone who was clearly a christian um, still is a christian um and singing popular music that were you know frothy love songs it, it wasn't it wasn't mm -hmm. an issue um and you even even had artists like elvis who you know, went back and forth between um, making secular music and and doing a, a, a gospel album, or even an artist like Aretha Franklin. Right? Um, there was a little bit of debate uh, about this um, at times, but um, the lines weren't as stark. You know, until you kind of moved into um, you know the early 1980s, um, where you had the emergence of the of the Christian music market. Um, you know, starting with the late 70s. Sorry to give this whole like music history done. Um, but I think it, it no, kind no. of gives, Give it gives to people, us. yeah, it gives people a little bit of context. I think, cause I think when people talk about this, they lack that historical knowledge and the context and the cultural context of how, how music movements and music genres are birthed. Right. And so, um, you know, for us to define things, you know, strictly, even from, if you want to look at it, um, from a, a American, you know, viewpoint, I think is very, very narrow, narrow because, you know, God is not an American God. Jesus was not American. Um, and so I've actually read some um, praise and worship books um, that were totally slamming anything that was, you know, not a church hymn um, stylistically. And I'm going, hmm. Well, what do you tell the the people that are in Africa that become Christians? You know, you tell them they have to worship with organ church music, right? You know, um, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, there's the context is not there. And I mean, those who are in the more modern missions movement understand that, that you contextualize the gospel for those in, you know, in that culture. And we're, we've moved away from that more um, colonization model of, of I think, you know, music and, and Christianity. But those are things I think for people to think of is, is, is ultimately like music is a reflection of culture. Um, and so like putting people into boxes is, is really a social construct, right? So um, for me, the mm -hmm. rule of thumb is what is the purpose and meaning behind, I think, doing some of the songs and some, some of the messages. Um, and and that, that to me is important. I think it's okay for a Christian you know, to sing a song, a secular song, depending on what song that is. Yeah, you have to be careful lyrically of, of certain things, but um, it's okay to just have fun. But, you know, but what are your messages in, in your ministry beyond just that, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm definitely not giving like a, a green light for, you know, everything is permissible, you know? I mean, certainly God says <laughs> everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. But you know, I, I'm, I'm not in the camp where I think everything is okay for Christians to do musically, but um, <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to be the one to set the rules and, and give those definitive dividing lines. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think this, I think you're right. There's a very important conversation within this issue. It's not just about music, but, you know, kind of like what you were saying, like this idea that God and Jesus are not Americans. 
<laughs> which seems like a, a simple and an obvious thing. But I think you're making an important point here about how we have a tendency to put God in this certain cultural box, and which is why this issue of representation is so important. Well, not only because, you know, opportunities for people of all different uh, backgrounds and, and cultures, ethnicities, whatever, but because it widens our scope and our understanding that God is not just an American or God is not just this particular ethnicity or God is not just this particular kind of music or genre of music. And, and so, yeah, I think that's a, an important point. And and I, I think also just the point that you're making that, you know, maybe kind of from a theological perspective, um, that sometimes we have this tendency to divide uh, secular from spiritual, right? That we kind of classify some things right. as being secular and th- some things as being spiritual, which is a false dichotomy, right? That being Christian is not a genre, right? Like everything I am as a follower of Jesus is is Christian, right? And I bring that into everything that I do. And everything that I do in that way is spiritual, not just, you know, this certain kind of music with these certain kinds of themes and and lyrics. So I I really appreciate the point that you're making there. Yeah. And I'll just add on to that, that I I used to be one of those judgmental Christians about music. I used to be very, very conservative in my view and very, and I think that was shaped by kind of what I was brought up with in in the Southern Baptist church in a sense where, you know, oh, if it, it has to have very theological lyrics or even just even Christian lyrics to be Christian, right? And then I ended up working at Ensel Records, which I mentioned earlier, you know, which was dance music. And there was a lot of dance music. You know, yes, we had the Nitro Praise, which was clearly praise and worship music with a dance beat. Okay, that's very clear, lyrically, very Christian. But there was so many other Mm -hmm. songs and, and DJs that had instrumental music. And... You know, or if you even think about classical music, is a lot of it is instrumental, but yet it was divinely inspired, right? And so then I would question, it's like, is this really Christian music? And then I would talk to the DJs and the, and the music producers that were believers that made this. And then I started to hear the testimony. So at face value, I'm like, how can this be Christian? How can this be impacting somebody's life? Because I don't hear any Christian lyrics. And they would talk about how they play this music, you know, and they're going into clubs. It kind of goes back to you know, kind of uh, my how I ended up doing a lot of clubs and, and playing a lot of clubs is because I would talk to these these Christian artists that used to be in that secular club scene spinning, you know, records, and you know maybe they were even part of the drug culture and all the things associated that is negative and sinful, and then they became a believer and they were transformed, but yet they now wanted to shine a light into that industry, so they went back with now more redeemed and and music that is reflected of their spirituality and they would have an opportunity because now they're in that culture they are this opportunity to share the gospel with people through that music um it wasn't in the music in Mm -hmm. and itself but the fact that they were present and had the opportunity to be in those spaces that your average person in a church may never walk into really changed my perspective on the power of music and how different genres i mean genres are cultures so we talk about cultures you know sometimes geographically when it comes to say people in africa people in asia people in europe you know um and people groups right and from a missional standpoint but we don't ever think about them in terms of culture in terms of you know in a music it's all very culture based it's like people who are in hip-hop culture people who are in the you know in the edm scene people who are in uh, the in the country music scene or wh- whatever other genre, the rock, punk, you, you can name it. And yet I think there's an opportunity for us to kind of change our viewpoint of, of how we reach people if we, you know, again, change the definitions of what culture means. I should say broaden, broaden, because <laughs> <laughs> not change, but broaden our definitions. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're making that point because I love the story that you just shared of it's not necessarily just you know the overt christianness of the art that i'm producing but it's me as a person uh, as a follower of jesus christ you know i'm the one who infuses meaning into my art and i bring myself into those spaces that's how i bring truth and and influence into these spaces not just the the art itself but myself and the relationships that i build and so i just i just feel like that's such an important um paradigm shift and and i appreciate that point that you're making there yeah absolutely um i think it's something that 
um, needs to be discussed more, and and it doesn't always, you know, I think because it can be very polarizing. I, again, I've had so many conversations um, where, you know, people have this preconceived notion of what is acceptable as a tool um, to reach the masses. And, and if our ultimate goal is missional, right, to make disciples of all nations, then we have to really rethink, like, what is the most effective means of making disciples because it's not going to be the same prescription for every group of people. I want to kind of go back and so now, you know, that you are you know, really kind of doing a lot in the filmmaking and producing space. And I'm just kind of curious because I, I would imagine that just uh, not just being an Asian American, but being a woman in those spaces, I, I'm just kind of curious if you have any experiences that you could share just kind of maybe more as you're wearing that, that producing filmmaking hat. I think one of the things, uh, you know, that is, I think certainly challenging is, having to combat that stereotype of women being submissive um, or uh, especially an Asian female specifically um, or, or not being outspoken or not being a strong leader or, or those types of things. I think I've had to, in a sense, overcome that a lot. Um, again, um, I can kind of tell in my conversations people that people just don't take me seriously when they first like meet me. And then they start talking to me for five minutes. And with five minutes, I have to, I, you know, I, I win them over, you know, where I prove myself, but I, I always have to prove myself, right? Like I don't go in with the assumption mm -hmm. like, oh, she's a strong leader. She must be an amazing film producer and director. Cause you know, I, I, I mentioned earlier, it's like most of the time, people will talk to my husband uh, and they think, you know, and, and I'm not to say that he doesn't have his own laurels and, and is in a leader in his own right, but certainly they always think he's the decision maker and a creative, I should say. Um, and, you know, I'm the one that uh, is, is more the, the creative, you know, in that sense, um, in terms of when it comes to directing for sure, even music production um, and, and even songwriting in, in a lot of ways. And so it's something I've constantly have to battle. Um, and it's one of those things where hopefully with more women um, being visible, going back to representation and especially Asian women um, being visible in leadership positions, um, we can kind of turn that tide a little bit and, and, and not have that assumption that just because you're an Asian female that, you know, you're docile and aren't assertive and can make any decisions and, and be a good leader. And so, you know, I mean, you know, like we said earlier, you've been in the industry for 20 years now. And so you obviously have a ton of lived and learned experience navigating, you know, just all kinds of issues around representation as an Asian American, as a Christian, as a woman. And so, you know, I'm just kind of curious as you sort of reflect back on your career and your experiences, um, what advice do you think that you could give to someone? I don't know if anybody who's listening to this is in the entertainment industry or is thinking about going into the entertainment industry and, you know, maybe they're a part of some um, underrepresented group. But is there any advice that you have for them in trying to navigate this this issue of representation as they move into entertainment? Yeah, first of all, I would have to say that it's important to take this seriously. Um, you know, you alluded to the fact that sometimes maybe Christian content, um, you can even extend that sometimes to those that are, you know, Asians creating content may not be as on par with what you see, you know, in the mainstream. And I think part of that is a lot of times, you know, we just give people a pat on the back just for effort, right? <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> like, oh, yay, you're doing something awesome. Let's be really, really encouraging. Now, I'm not saying be negative and slam them and tell them get out of the business, but I think there is this need to have anyone that's in considering entertainment to take it seriously. It's not an easy path. Um, it's it's one where you have to commit yourself. You know, I always give this example. I meet so many artists, um, young artists or, you know, wannabe actors or writers, and they come out to, I'm in LA, you know, come out to Hollywood and they, and they were like, oh, I want to try this out for a year or two. 
because they decided they didn't want to make use of their biology degree or whatever and go to med school. You know, <laughs> they wanted to follow my footsteps, but, um, you know, eschew the, the, the medical career. But they, they say they want to just try it for a year or two. Now, would you try being a doctor for a year or two? Would you try being a lawyer for a year or two? I mean, we just don't say that about a lot of other uh, disciplines. I mean, even if you're looking at like athletes, like you don't try it for a year or two. I mean, think about all the practices and the training that go into to being an elite athlete. And so I think we have to view ourselves. If you're going to go into entertainment, you need to become an elite artist creator you know and it's not even limited to being uh, somebody who's creating whether you're a writer or a producer or a director or a singer you know it's even people who are on the executive level we need people representation wise at executive levels and you have to again invest yourself um in that um two it's a lot about relationship um i mean jesus was all about relationship and i think that translates mm -hmm. you know into an, a successful career because um you have to have a good relationship with others that you're working with um and ultimately if you're somebody that's a performer you have to have a good relationship with your audience and that kind of goes back to you know our, our our conversation about like what types of music can you do and not do or like what can you sing and and ultimately if your heart um, and your soul and your message and essence are conveyed. Um, you know, and for me, it, it was it was always a very strong viewpoint from my worldview, which is a Christian worldview, um, that was conveyed regardless of the songs and regardless of the setting that I was in. Um, and I think that's that's important. Now, you know, I'm not saying you have to stand on a street corner with a bullhorn and a, and a giant sign that says John 3.16, because <laughs> um, you need to be prudent and you need to be discerning in terms of like what's appropriate and what's the best way you know to convey your messages but yeah. it's again just is, is being genuine um, in terms of you know what your mission statement is and and that's and that's kind of a, another piece of advice like a step three that I would give everybody is write yourself a mission statement mission statements aren't just for missionaries mm -hmm. you know if you write a mission statement and you know, you kind of abide by that, um, then you're not going to get caught up in like the measurements of success, I think is, is what I like to say. Because if you're, if you're, if you're, if you write a mission statement and I'm telling you, don't write this mission statement, it's like, I'm going to make as much money as I can, or I'm going to be world famous. Like that's <laughs> not what I'm talking about. You know, when you're talking about a mission statement, it, it's got to go beyond those things. And, you know, for me, it's very simple. You know, I'm trying to reflect the uncompromising gospel around the world through art, media, and music, you know, and that's fairly broad, mm. right? And I can reflect that in many yeah. different ways. Uh, but the fact is, nowhere in that mission statement is about, you know, how many followers I may have. <laughs> how many, I mean, I hope some <laughs> of them become Jesus followers, but not Instagram followers necessarily, right? <laughs> but, you know, for me, it's about staying focused that if I'm, you know, and even like my, my own production company is called Giant Flashlight Media, you know, it's about shining a light on hidden stories or smaller stories in the world. Um, and, you know, if I'm continuing to shine a light in the world, um, then I'm accomplishing that mission. And if I'm, if I'm doing it in a way that's pleasing to God, I'm accomplishing that mission. Because um, it's very easy, especially in entertainment, to get measured by the numbers, right? Whether it is, you know, how many likes you have on Instagram or on, you know, YouTube videos or um, how big of a, a you know, studio deal you get or what movie stars are you hobnobbing with? I mean, like there's a lot of ways, how many records you're selling or have streaming. I mean, there's a lot of ways that you can get caught up in the statistical aspect of it, but it has to come down to the, it's, it's quality versus quantity, if I can put it succinctly. Mm. I know yeah. I think I just answered a ton of stuff, but like those are the things that I, I would really encourage somebody <laughs> pursuing um, a career in entertainment is is to take it seriously, invest the resources and time for training to be excellent, to be elite, and to also understand it's about relationships building. It's very important to build relationships um, in this business and to have a very focused mission that's beyond the money and the fame. I think ultimately, you know, kind of, rounding it out in this conversation about representation and, and, and entertainment, you have to be the change. I know it sounds very cliche that we say that all the time, <laughs> but I, I hear so many artists that complain, um, especially those that are of Asian descent or who are Christians who are like, you know, 
things are never going to change. You know, we're not getting accepted for, you know, who we are. We're not able to, you know, put our art in the world, you know, the way we want to, or nobody's listening to us. And you have to, in a sense, be that change and find a way to ask for a seat at the table or get involved. Because I think a lot of times people are on the sidelines, you know, complaining um, and on the outside looking in. And there are a lot of ways, again, goes back to that relationship building, is to cultivate those relationships to influence other people to to see that there needs to be a change you know especially specifically talking about the the asian representation you know a lot of people don't realize that we've just kind of been excluded until you start playing this game with like so name a prominent asian american in history and the crickets will start going mm. right <laughs> you know they can name other <laughs> yeah. figures um of other ethnicities and they will not be able to name one um or even major movie stars i mean now maybe some people will mention like simo liu because of shang chi but like they'll probably say oh the guy that plays shang chi like they don't know him as the actor but they know mm -hmm. he played shang chi and so like we don't have <laughs> our brad pitts and tom cruises you know we don't have our denzel washington's and you know like we those are the types of things where you know again people aren't in intentionally trying to exclude us they just don't realize it's been a blind spot for so many years and so you know we have to do it in a loving manner and you know currently i'm i'm working on some things that are that are frankly talking with um some of the christian entertainment industry side uh, of bringing to attention that you know the asian american or even just asian global church is one of the fastest growing churches and and yet we're not represented in in whether it's music or film and so these are again difficult conversations to call out and to bring attention but it's be through a relationship that we're having these conversations and you know we're not trying to point a finger and go like oh you're a bad person but it's just like okay well how can we you know work together to bring forth some change and you know increase some of the representation in these areas that has been underrepresented historically yeah that's a great point I, I really appreciate that point that you're making that yeah of course we need to you know, shine a light on the issues and speak out, you know, where we're maybe being overlooked and not having opportunities. But at the same time, we got to do the work and we got to try to get to those tables and we got to be excellent in our craft and, and have something to bring to the table and, and try to break some break down some of those barriers and, and not just be on the sideline. And so yeah, I really appreciate that point that you're making there. But Larissa, thank you so much for just taking time and, and sharing. I mean, you have so much experience and I wish I could just uh, hear more stories, but I really appreciate you taking time to uh, share that with us. And, um, you know, if, if our listeners wanted to get more connected with you, uh, how can they connect with you? Sure. Um, you can go to my website, larissalam.com. Um, you can, you know, contact me that way. I do answer all my own emails, um, believe it or not. <laughs> and I also am on social media. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Larissa Lamb or on Instagram at Larissa Lamb Music. Um, and I'm on Facebook as well. Uh, you know, certainly would love to connect. And, you know, I'm really grateful, Jay, for everything you're doing on this podcast and shining a light on this topic and allowing me to kind of talk candidly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, we love it. We, we want to hear all the stories. Thank you so much for having me today. The closing song for this episode, Pause, Breathe, is by David Cho of Kindred Worship. For more music from Kindred Worship, you can find a link in the episode description. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share this episode with a friend or on social media. If you'd like to connect with Pastor Jay, you can visit dailysabbath.com or our Instagram account at dailysabbath. God, you keep moving, still holding me when I come apart. Reminding me of the Father's heart. So here's my heart. Where you start That's where we'll start
Fear should be this last time. 